My name is Gary. I'm one of the overseers uh, at Lakeview, and I have the privilege uh, to share the message today. And before we start, since I'm giving the message, we probably should pray really hard. So let's pray. (laughs) Father, um, we ask that you would be here with us today, that you would reveal to us your word. Father, that you would give us things that we can apply, things that really we can do with what you share with us today. And we just commit this time to you and ask that you would bless it bless us, and guide us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've changed um, roles recently at work. Um, I no longer am leading a team, or anyone else for that matter. Um, I've been in charge of teams for most uh, most of my adult career, and now I'm just in charge of me, which is really different. And I'm not ready to retire yet, although I'm getting close. Um, But I do find myself wondering, what am I doing? Now I'm just responsible for me. How do I do a good job and represent Christ now? Have any of you ever had that thought? Shifting topics, when I read the news or watch news broadcasts, whenever politics comes up, I'm struck by how divided we seem to be. One side demonizes the other. If one goes this way, the other goes that way. Public views of politics or politicians don't seem to be very high right now. And as followers of Jesus Christ, how are to we behave in an environment like this? I think Peter has something to say about both of those topics in today's passage. But before we look at today's passage, let's take a little view back um, on what last week was about. Last week, Daryl Anderson talked about being a royal priesthood, a people apart. And he read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that verse has a relevance to what we're going to be sharing with today's passage because I think that idea of being a royal priest, uh, a people set apart, a holy nation, is what Peter is moving to um, in, in, the, in the passage in the scripture that we'll be reading. So let's go, let's go dive into the word. I'm going to go, instead of reading the whole thing through, I'm going to go step by step and verse by verse. So let's start out with um, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Now this is the message translation. So I'm, I shift, shifted between the ESV and now I'm re- um, um, reading from the message because I think it really captures Peter's idea um, in this passage. Let's read it. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life. And this translation says among the natives, and in an earlier translation it says in your neighborhood. I like that translation. So that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side 
and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Notice the phrase, this world is not your home. We are aliens. We don't belong here. This is not our homeland. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, if you may remember that that chapter is is a chapter of the hall of fame of faith. All the Old Testament saints from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were listed there. And somewhere towards the end of that chapter, the author of Hebrews writes, for they were looking for a better country, a country where the kingdom is in heaven. That's our home. Our home isn't here. It's somewhere else. As royal priests, though, as a people set apart, as a holy nation, we live as great examples of what God looks like among people. Our lives are examples. Even though this isn't our home, our lives serve as beacons shining towards Jesus, influencing others to come to Christ. So Peter really starts out with our passage today focusing us on this idea that you don't belong here, but you need to live here like Christ ones, Christians. Peter continues on and he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And get this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I want to point out this word, be subject. That word, be subject, is actually not two words in the Greek, it's one. And it it literally means to obey, to to, to subordinate oneself, to submit to, or how it's translated here, to be subject to. And notice who it says that we are to be subject to. Every human political institution. Here, Peter is referring to the Roman government. For this is the will of God, Peter says. Submission to our government and doing good works before all people silences critics of those who are followers of Christ. Only a few times in the New Testament do writers specifically state this is the will of God? And so anytime I see that, I write it down, I underline it, I put it in my journal. Because that's kind of important when somebody says this is God's will. It is God's will that Paul was an apostle. He says it in many of of his letters. Paul, an apostle of Christ, called by the will of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, it is the will of God that you are pure and sanctified. Another chapter later, he says, it is the will of God that, and he lists out a whole variety of characteristics. One of them is pray without ceasing. Oh, I get that wrong sometimes and say pray without ceasing. But that's the will of God. And it is the will of God 
that we live such good lives in our government system that we become witnesses. Peter tells us that that's the will of God. And I, you know, it's really amazing to me that he says this, given where he is writing this from and who he is writing this to. Here's a map of the Roman Empire. This map is around 117 AD, which is about 60 years after Peter had written this letter. But the provinces are relatively the same. They list out both senatorial and imperial provinces, and if, I, if we want to geek out, I can tell you what the difference of that is, but let's not. But the letter of First Peter is written to people, and he says it right in the beginning, from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Can any of you find Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia? If you look to the right, down a little bit lower, you see a big green mass, and right to the left of that is a, per, is a pink mass on the right. Right where you see the Mediterranean and the Black Sea is Bithynia and... Whoops, we need to go back. That's not a map. Uh, Bithynia at Pontus, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia. Do you see that? He's waiting for an answer. Oh, okay, good. All right. That, that's northern, western, and central Turkey right now. And if you see Cappadocia, right in the middle, where that dot is, sadly, is where the earthquake in Turkey happened a couple weeks ago. This is the people to whom Peter is writing to. And he's referring to the Roman government the governors who are governing those here, each of those provinces have a governor that rules, is responsible for taxation, is responsible for monitoring all the things that are going on with Rome, is responsible for the military and for judging. All of that happens in those provinces. So this, Paul, uh, Paul Peter probably wrote this letter in the mid-60s. So for, the, for you history buffs, do you, have, do you know who was emperor in Rome in the mid-60s. I heard it. Nero. A guy named Nero. He was the emperor. Now, I don't know if you remember about Nero, but he was not the most moral person that you would talk to, see, or want to be around. He had two of his wives murdered. He murdered his own mother, now, mind you, his mother was not the pastion of wonderfulness. She was pretty nasty herself. And he is credited, although historians argue over this, of having most of Rome burnt down. Now, there's a, a story of, of, of Nero playing the violin while Rome was burning. That's probably not true. And it's probably not true that he caused the fire to happen. But what is true is who did he blame for that fire? Do you remember? Christians. He blamed Christians and a horrible sequence of persecutions happened in Rome. Horrible things. He was so bad that the Roman Senate declared him an enemy of the state. 
Seeing his impending end of his reign and likely his life, he committed suicide. Not your stellar champion of wonderfulness. Not a moral example that you want to follow. Not only that, tradition has it that Paul lost his head under the reign of Nero. That Peter died and was crucified upside down during the reign of Nero. And it was likely Nero's not with light, light, it was likely with Nero's knowledge and likely permission that Paul and Peter died. This is the human institution that Peter is saying, "Be subject to." Wow. Let's move on. Peter then writes, "Live as people who are free." Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor, a guy named Nero. We are to live as people who are free. We actually just sang about that a little bit ago. Free in Christ, not to do evil, but to do good. And then Peter lists for us what this freedom looks like. So let's do a quick summary of what Peter has told us thus far. Remember in 9 he says, he talked about us being a royal priest, a chosen people, a people belonging to God. As royal priests we are to recognize that this world is not our home. We are examples of what good neighbors look like. We are free in Christ to live a right life, to honor all people, to love our brothers and sisters and sometimes to our irk, to honor the government and its leadership. But Peter doesn't stop there. He continues. Servants, be subject. Same word, be subject, as it is just before we talked about the government. Same word, same command. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter tells servants to be subject to their masters. Now, the Greek term used for servants uh, a little earlier is actually literally translated house slave or house servant. And Peter not only says that we should be subject to these, but we should be subject to these masters and respectful of them even when they're unjust. Enduring suffering when we're doing good is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Many, many people in Peter's day, many, were slaves. In, in fact, in the New Testament, there's a book, maybe you didn't know this, a book where Paul is writing to a slave master about his slave. Do you know what book that is? Philemon. Philemon was a master who owned slaves and Paul was writing to him about his slave named Onesimus. And he was asking Philemon to accept Onesimus. We don't know how Onesimus kept to know 
Paul, Paul was in prison in Rome. Somehow, Onesimus, who escaped, found himself in Rome and then found his way to Paul, uh, to Paul and Paul led him to Christ. And as he was growing, both Onesimus and Paul recognized that they needed, he, Onesimus, needed to go back to his master. Because of what Peter is telling us, we need to be subject to our masters. Scholars estimate somewhere between one in eight or one in five people in the Roman Empire were enslaved. That's a lot of people. Probably a million to two million people. Slavery wasn't about race in the Roman Empire. It was more about finances. Who got conquered or who was born into into slavery? And slaves certainly did labor they built roads. They were mines and, and the mining in, in the Roman Empire was horrible. But they were also, they were also uh, people like professionals. They were, and the, the word that we're looking at here for, for um, servant is house slave. So they were um, helping people in their homes. They were tradesmen. They built things. Some of them were doctors. Some of them were even poets. These are who the slaves were. Now, there's a picture I want to show you. This is a picture of a tag worn on the collar by a slave in the Roman Empire. It's in the British Museum. It was found in the city of Rome somewhere in the 4th century. But many have been found like it in the 1st and 2nd century. In fact, some, some slaves actually didn't wear this tag. They actually had this information tattooed on their body. And notice what it says. The teneme et revoceme ad dominum is common on lots of these that they find. Hold me and return me to my master. Uh, we don't know who Viventus was and we don't know where the state of Callistus was and apparently this, this slave had a penchant for escaping. But this is what slavery was about. Servanthood was about. And Paul is asking those people in the the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, be subject to your master. I don't think Paul, because of the word he uses, is just talking about people who are enslaved. I think he's talking about all of us. I think he's referring to people who work. And his charge to us is we are to be subject to our masters, to our employers, to those who lead us. Even, this is a hard part, when they're undeserving. So let's summarize where we're at right now. What does it mean to be a chosen person, a royal priest? It means that the world is not our home. That we are brought, we are to be upright examples of what good neighbors look like. We are free in Christ to live a right life, to honor all people, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to honor the government and its leadership, and we are to be examples of what great employees look like. Paul continues, For for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was, he did not, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' suffering and how he endured all that he endured is an example for us. He didn't sin, he didn't curse, he didn't threaten his enemies, he wasn't deceitful, he didn't revile others. He could have acted on the cross, he could have come down, he didn't. He entrusted himself to the judge, his father, not to himself. Peter continues, Jesus, uh, he himself bore our sins and in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus led the way. By his stripes, we are healed. His death, his resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit, these are the things that allow us to have the resources to be royal priests, people set apart, people chosen by God. So let's, just being redundant, let's look at where we're at right now. What is Peter asking us to do? What does it mean to be a chosen person, a royal priest? The world is not our home. We are examples of what good neighbors look like. We are free to live in Christ, to live a right life, to honor all people, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to honor our government and its leadership. We are examples of what great employees look like. Christ is our example. His sufferings, his life, we we should follow. Through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we die to sin and we live righteously. Wow. As I was studying this passage, and thinking about all that Peter was saying, it was, I don't know, it was overwhelming to me. Look at all that list. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to aspire to. How did Peter's readers react to this? What were they thinking? What does it mean for us? I think the Lord is asking us to be like this. This is what a royal priest, a person set apart, looks like. We are to be that royal priest and, and that person set apart in our community. And so I asked the Lord, because this is a lot. I don't know about you, but I'm, I saw this and I'm like, oh, I'm depressed now. <laughs> um, but I asked God as I was praying and studying the scriptures about this passage, to, if he could show me something simpler than this long list of things that I needed to do. Something I could easily reflect on and gauge how I was doing as a royal priest, as a kid's, as a king of the, king of, kid of the king. Okay, so don't laugh. As I was praying, the Lord gave me a way to think about this in an equation. So, now some of you may know that my training professionally is as, is as a statistician. So I like statistics. So equations are my friend. Many of you, equations are not your friend. I get it. 
But I don't think this, equa- this equation is very complicated to understand. But I do think it's challenging, but I do think it can easily guide us in this whole long list of what it means to be a royal priest, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So shall we take a look at the equation? Okay, it's small, I know. But I, I, I give it the name, the B-subject quotient. And the B-subject quotient is this. In the numerator, it's the number of respectful, honorable statements that you make about someone or something and the number of respectful and honorable actions you do for someone or something divided by the number of disrespectful or dishonorable things you say about someone or something and the number of disrespectful or dishonorable things you do to someone or something. That's what the equation means. I believe the equation, if you think about it for a moment, I'll give you a second to think about it. How many math people are here? Okay, that side's the math side. Okay, if you look at the equation, what you don't want is you don't want a small number. In fact, you want to be more than one. You want to be as big and as high a number as you can. And so as I began to think about this equation this week, God sort of gave me this idea early uh, Tuesday. Um, And I began to sort of apply it to my life. Uh, Sadly, there's some areas where I didn't have big numbers. But it allowed me to see where I could get better. So let me ask you some questions about the B subject quotient or the BSQ. What is your BSQ toward your family or your neighbors? How have you respected your family or your neighbors? How have you served them? How have you honored them? How about your brothers and sisters in Christ? How have you served and honored them? Do you have a high number there? Here's even a harder one. How have you thought about politics and politicians? Do you have a high number there? How would you rate yourself? Do you honor being a citizen? Do you vote? Do you participate in the political process in conversations and discussions honorably, with respect, not demeaning those who don't agree with you? How would your employer rate your BSQ? Would you have a high number or low number? How respectful, how honorable, how obedient are you towards God? I think the BSQ can help us reflect on our witness to our neighbors, to our community, to our employers, and to those we meet every day. It's an easy way for me, of course I'm a math guy, but it's an easy way for me to really gauge how I'm doing. Am I, is my respectful, honorable uh, statements, actions, are they, do they outweigh the negative statements or actions in the people that I meet with, in the, in the things I'm engaged in? I think it's really interesting what Peter is telling us here about being royal priests, people set apart. 
I think this BSQ can help us think about that. Um, and how we need to display ourselves, how we need to live around the people that are our neighbors, our families, in such a way that we reflect Christ. It's interesting also that Peter, in the next chapter in this book, talks about living as royal priests in a way to those around us. He writes in 1 Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. So the, it's not up there, but in 315, in, a, in the NIV it says, um, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always being ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. As priests, as those chosen by God, we've been asked to live a life of respect and honor, to not disrespect and dishonor our family, our friends, our neighbors, our political system, our employers. But we're asked to live like Christ a life before the community to draw all people to him. That's what God is asking us to do. I believe that is what it means to be a royal priest, a person set apart, a holy nation coming to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter writing to us. I must confess that what Peter asks of, of us is hard to be respectful of a government that sometimes isn't respectful of us. And just to think that Peter was, was saying that to a horrible government or to slaves that they would obey their master. And Christ is our example. So Lord, I pray that you would help us think about honoring those around us and not dishonoring. Father, I ask that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit for only through your Holy Spirit can we even approach being a royal priest, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So thank you, Father, as we go this week. I pray you would uh, just really help us reflect on this. Be subject quotient. Help us gauge how we're honoring others and not dishonor. We commit this to you, Father. We ask that you would use your Holy Spirit to empower us to do your will, to live lives before the world that people might see us and glorify your name. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray this and commit this. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.